This afternoon, congregation, we deal with Lord's Day 29 of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 29. We're still busy with the Lord's Supper, Lord's Days, so this one is also again about the Lord's Supper. Are then the bread and wine changed into the real body and blood of Christ? No. Just as the water of baptism is not changed into the blood of Christ and is not the washing away of sins itself, but is simply God's sign and pledge, so also the bread in the Lord's Supper does not become the holy, does not become the body of Christ itself, although it is called Christ's body, in keeping with the nature and usage of sacraments. Why then does Christ call the bread his body and the cup his blood? or the new covenant in his blood? And why does Paul speak of a participation in the body and blood of Christ? Christ speaks in this way for a good reason. He wants to teach us by his supper, that is bread and wine sustain us in this temporal life. So his crucified body and shed blood are true food and drink for our souls to eternal life. But even more important, he wants to assure us by this visible sign and pledge First, that through the working of the Holy Spirit, we share in his true body and blood as surely as we receive with our mouth these holy signs in remembrance of him. And second, that all his suffering and obedience are as certainly ours as if we personally had suffered and paid for our sins. So far, the Catechism, Lord's Day, our Confession. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, including you, boys and girls, one of the most important moments at a uh, celebration of the Lord's Supper is when the minister takes uh, a piece of the bread and he holds it up and he breaks it in front of everyone so everybody can see it. And then he says, the bread which we break is the communion of the body of Christ. And a little later, uh, pours a cup so everybody can see that. And the, um, he says then, the, the cup of thanksgiving for which we, which we bless is the communion of the blood of Christ. Now the word communion uh, figures in those statements is the important word there, the communion. And the word communion means uh, a relationship with, a close relationship with. It means uh, bridging the distance between one person and another so that two parties share uh, something together, share each other, in fact. Being united with each other and experiencing that unity, that, that experience of that Unity and communion is something that, for instance, is compared sometimes to marriage relationship as God wants it to be, covenant of marriage. Man and wife enjoy communion with each other in, in marriage. Well, that, that word is heard, that word communion is heard when we celebrate the Lord's Supper together too. By means of the bread and wine, we're by means of that bread and wine at the, the Lord's Supper celebration, the church experiences communion 
the, the high point of the relationship with the Lord, with their Savior and Lord. And then at the same time, when they experience that with their Lord in heaven, they also would with each other, horizontally with one another at the Lord's Supper celebration. And now that we're dealing once again in the Catechism with the meaning of the Lord's Supper, I'd like to take that word communion as a starting point for the sermon this afternoon, and we'll consider how we have communion with Christ in heaven, and then also communion with one another as brothers and sisters at the Lord's Supper celebration. So I proclaim the gospel with this theme, that at the Lord's Supper, Christ confirms the communion of the new covenant. First of all, the communion with himself, and secondly, the communion with one another. So first, he confirms with the Lord's Supper the communion with him. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, he, he in fact, emphasizes that communion is uh, the, the important thing in the Lord's Supper celebration. It's the essence of it. 1 Corinthians 10, 16, we read, where the apostle says, the cup of blessing which we bless is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? And the bread which we break, is it not the communion with the body of Christ? The Greek word translated here as communion is koinonia, koinonia. And that word actually means that you share in each other. For example, as we mentioned, man and woman, when they, they marry, marry, they share in everything together, material things like money, home, and so on, as well as their emotions like joy and sorrows, etc. Everything they share. What the one has is shared with the other, and vice versa. In a relationship with someone else, it's a, a sharing thing. If that relationship is real, when it comes to the height of that relationship, sharing in everything. So when the New Testament speaks of communion with the body and blood of Christ, you realize that we're not talking about the, the physical communion with the physical body and blood of Christ as such. The bread and wine don't have to change into the actual physical body and blood of Christ. No, the, we're speaking sacramentally here. It means communion with Christ himself as Savior, who gave his body and blood on the cross to pay for sins. Communion with the body and blood of Christ means to share in, to receive all the glorious benefits of our present Savior in heaven's crucifixion in the past here on earth. That's what the Lord's Supper is about. It's sharing in that. It, it, it's a physical sharing in that, in the bread and wine, even though it's a spiritual thing. We receive bread and wine and have communion with him in his death. That's why he, he, the Lord Jesus, who gave his life for us in the past, is now in heaven at God's right hand. That's why he instituted the Lord's Supper, so that we can have communion with him this way. To receive and taste the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper in faith is to really connect with Christ 
and receive the benefits of his work, even though he's far away in heaven and we are here on earth. That distance between us here on earth and him in heaven is bridged at the Lord's Supper with a bite of bread and a sip of wine. He in us, we in him. See, that's what a lot of members in the church in Corinth had lost sight of or didn't seem to understand that participating in the Lord's Supper means you have communion, real communion with Christ in heaven. And that's why Paul warns them that they can't take part in the, that, those feasts for pagan idols one day and attend the Lord's Supper the next. Because that involves fellowship, communion. You can't have communion with, with pagan idols and, and demons one time and then communion with the Lord the next. It doesn't fit. You see, in the Old Testament, the Israelites sacrificed animals on the altar and then they consumed parts of the animal and that eating from that animal, that, that signified communion with God, eating from the altar. It was God's altar on which those animals were sacrificed. He instituted those sacrifices. That animal was for him and then you would, take, you would take up that animal and enjoy communion with God. Well, taking part in those pagan feasts and eating from what was sacrificed on those pagan altars brought the, the Corinthians into communion with gods whose, which the pagans sacrificed to. And those pagan gods were nothing but demons, says, says Paul. If those pagan feasts bring people into communion with gods who don't actually exist but are really demons, how much more do we have to realize that the Lord's Supper instituted by Christ to bring us in communion with him is a real thing too? That means fellowship with him. That's why you can't participate in the pagan feasts and the Lord's Supper, says Paul, because communion is involved. You can't have communion with the Lord and with demons. It's one or the other. Point is, congregation, the Lord's Supper really, truly, wonderfully unites us with Christ and his sacrifice. As we confess with powerful words in Lord's Day 29, first, first, through the working of the Holy Spirit, we share in his true body and blood as surely as we receive with our mouth the holy signs in remembrance of him. And second, that all his suffering and obedience are as certainly ours as if we personally had suffered and paid for our sins. Congregation, think about those words. The Lord's Supper is about full, real, communion with Christ, and participation in everything he did on the cross. So everything he did to pay for sins is ours so much that it's as if we had done it ourselves. 
He took on himself our sins. We received the full payment for those sins so completely as if we ourselves had been crucified there on Golgotha, had hung on the cross, suffered all the agonies of hell ourselves. You know, just remember that. Remember that next time you chew and swallow that little piece of bread and you sip that wine. It connects you with that sacrifice through faith. And the Holy Spirit then impresses that on your heart again. What happened there on the cross, you share in it. It's yours. And see, congregation, that's why the Lord also commands all believers to take part in the Lord's Supper, as mentioned, Lord's Day 28, answer 75. It's not a take-it-or-leave-it thing. No, Christ is the host who commands us to come to his table, and there he wants to give himself all his benefits to his people. So we need to be there, if all possible, not to attend without legitimate reason is to offend the only Savior who wants you to share in everything he did for you on the cross. And that command to attend is also for the young people who haven't professed their faith yet. The Lord, in fact, has a standing commandment with all the young people, too, also those who have not professed their faith. He commands you to attend catechism classes in order to prepare yourself for participation in the Lord's Supper and communion with your Savior. The Lord wants you at his table, young people. You belong to him, the Savior. He wants to give himself to you in that very special way via the bread and wine at the Lord's Supper. He wants you to know your catechism, grow in the knowledge and the faith of what he has done for you so that you can also share in him at the supper, at his supper, have communion with him and share in all he did for you too. Of course, communion, if it's really communion, has to be a two-way thing. Not only Christ communicating himself to believers, but they also accept him, accept him and what he declares in living faith. You have to confess that Christ and what he did and what he still does are your only salvation and hope too. Otherwise, you, you won't receive all his glorious benefits at his table either. It's not automatic in that sense. Because it's a communion thing, it's not automatic. It's not in the bread and wine itself. No, if you just attend the Lord's Supper at a custom without real desire for communion with Christ, you're going to get bread and wine just like everybody else, but you're not going to receive Christ, communion with him. You only bring condemnation on yourself, says Paul. You need to see how desperate your need is for this Savior, God and man, who suffered, who gave his life for you. I'm afraid that could sometimes be why maybe we don't get a lot out of a Lord's Supper celebration. It could be that we don't see how much we really need to share in Christ. We're not hungry and thirsty enough, I could say. Spiritually hungry and thirsty enough. In other words, we have to see and acknowledge our sins more and more, 
our need for the cross then, and then also desire more and more to fight against our remaining sins. Maybe it sounds kind of depressing that you, you need to think about your sins and your sinfulness and about the need for further renewal of your life. Maybe you sigh, you know, that oh, I have to hear that again and have to be involved in that again. But it's not depressing, congregation, it's not. Because the more sharply you as covenant child of God see your sins and your need for Christ, the spiritually hungrier you are for that little piece of bread and the more spiritually thirstier you are for that little sip of wine at the Lord's Supper celebration. You desire it. You're hungry and thirsty for it. And then when you've seen it, that bread broken and the wine poured out and you've tasted it, you've been nourished, nourished with his broken body and shed blood, even if it's just a little piece of bread and a little sip of wine. It'll fill you, fill you to overflowing with joy and gratitude the Spirit of Christ will nourish and refresh your hungry and thirsty souls with Christ's body and blood, with everything he did. He and me, I and him. Close communion with Christ, congregation, very close. Again, that's the challenge, isn't it? We don't always experience that closeness of the relationship with Jesus Christ, do we? Time and again, Things kind of go downhill for a time. And we run into our own sins and consequences of our sins again, right? And then we feel miserable and sinful and unworthy of God's love. Or we kind of lose our, our sense of God being our God. And then you can think yourself of yourself as someone who's spiritually dying of hunger and thirst, dying of hunger and thirst. And, the, and then the Savior, once every couple of months, he invites you to his communion feast to feed you, to feed you again. And yes, it's just not much of a meal if you think about it, a little wee piece of bread and a wee little sip of wine those well-to-do Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11 thought more was needed. They gorged themselves and they got drunk at their Lord's Supper celebration while other poor people had hardly anything there. And they thought that, yeah, we are filled with Christ, but they are not. That was not the way. No, congregation, that, that little piece of bread and that little sip of wine represent an overflowing feast of salvation every time again a feast that fills you. That little piece of bread and that sip of wine nourish the souls of believers to eternal life. Your hunger and thirst are fully satisfied again with that bread and wine because you've enjoyed communion with Christ at his supper. And then you also enjoy that communion with each other and you rejoice in that. And that brings us to the second point of the sermon. The Lord's Supper also confirms communion with each other. 
1 Corinthians 10, 16, as we saw, the Apostle Paul characterizes his celebration of the Lord's Supper as communion with Christ, participation in Christ, in everything Christ stands for, everything he did. But in the next breath, you notice, he also characterizes it as a meal of communion with each other because he says in verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 10, for we, though many, are one body. We, though many, are one bread and one body. For we all partake of the one bread. And the form for celebration of the Lord's Supper puts it together this way. It's a kind of an interpretation of that passage. It says, as one bread is baked out of many grains, one wine pressed out of many grapes, so we all, incorporated in Christ by faith, are together one body. One body. United, joined together in heart. And we see that in action, congregation. We see that already right after Pentecost. The New Testament church suddenly starts to grow. We see that in Acts 2, how their hearts were united, how they cared for one another when they broke bread together. So congregation, for the sake of Christ who exceedingly loved us first, as the form says, we shall now love one another and shall show this to one another, not just in words, but also in deeds. Share with one another. Share in one another. Share together. See, brothers and sisters, that communion with Christ at his table also means then not just that horizontal, but also also the, the, not only the vertical, but also the horizontal communion with each other. We don't all sit as individuals when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, each participating in Christ's sacrifice on his or her own. No, when we participate in Christ there, we all together have the most important thing in life in common, namely Christ. We're all one body in Christ, like one loaf of bread baked out of many grains, one wine pressed out of many grapes. Oh, we're all different people. We're all different people there when we participate in the Lord's Supper. Different characters, different strengths and weaknesses, different backgrounds, different abilities and inabilities, different incomes, older ones with a whole history behind them, a table with younger ones just starting out on their own. But then when we, we all take and eat that, that piece of bread and drink that sip of wine together, all those differences, and we share in Christ together, all those differences fall away, become totally irrelevant. We're all equal in our complete need for Christ and sharing in him. And we're all equal in that one awesome world-changing event then, the suffering and death of the Savior Jesus Christ on the cross and Golgotha. We all share together in that. He communicates himself to all of us at his table with the same forgiveness and the same spirit of renewal there. 
He feeds us all with the same food and drink of life eternal. Not one more and another less. All the same. And because of that, we are to partake of the Lord's Supper in love for one another. Love for one another. You know, I see that, I see that brother or sister partaking of the bread and wine with me, and I realize I need Christ completely, and he or she needs Christ completely, and that person needs Christ completely. We all do the same amount. And if Christ loves that brother and sister and gives himself to all those brothers and sisters completely, then I can and I must also overcome myself and love that person and give myself to him or to her too. Share with them. And if we see that at our celebration of the Lord's Supper, if we see it that way, brothers and sisters, then it's, then it's a love feast. Love feast, celebration that motivates us to love one another in Christ, and not just in words, as the form says, but also in deeds. And that means it should be noticeable, not only in the collection for the needy, that we, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, but it, it should also be noticeable in how we treat and forgive each other and help each other and talk with each other that we have tasted the love of our Savior. And that translates in our hearts to love for all his own. We have eaten of the body of Christ and now we are one as the body of Christ. And that also means, however, that we then also have to confess the same Lord before we can celebrate the Lord's Supper with others. We can't just participate in celebration of the Lord's Supper and invite people to celebrate the Lord's Supper here with us unless we all confess the same faith in Christ too. Nowadays, you know, there are a lot of churches where the Lord's Supper is open to all, all who want to come regardless of confession or life. Left up to the participant to decide whether or not he or she would like to attend. But then how can all those sitting at the table consider themselves to be many grains baked into, many, into one bread and many grapes pressed into one wine? How can they consider themselves one body in Christ who all share together in Christ if they don't have the same spirit and confess the same Christ? And that's why, beloved, we have what is called the restricted communion at the Lord's table here too. The elders decide and admit to the table upon profession of the Reformed faith and evidence of a godly walk or by means of attestations which state the same. And that's not condemning all other people from other churches as such, but it's being, being careful with the table of the Lord because it's the Lord's, because it's a love meal with Christ and also with each other in unity in Christ. A consistory has to make sure that when people are admitted to the Lord's table, they have the same love for Christ and then also show the same love for one another because Lord's Supper, after all, is the high point of our communion with Christ and with one another. But that means the opposite is true too. 
if there's no desire to live in love with one another, if there's no desire to confess the same Lord, then there can't be communion with Christ and each other at his table. If there are divisions among brothers and sisters and refusal to be reconciled in love, then that doesn't work. That was the problem in Corinth. The Apostle Paul wrote his first letter to the Corinthians, and there were divisions among brothers. You can read that in the first part of, of Corinthians. There are divisions among the brothers. It says at the beginning of that letter that there were some who said they belonged to Paul and others to Peter and others to Apollos and others to Christ even, as if Christ was another teacher among others. And in the section we read from 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says that there were divisions between rich and poor in Corinth too, even at the Lord's Supper. People brought their own bread and wine, as was the custom in those days of the church, in the early days, but the rich had all kinds and the poor nothing. And that was division too. And then the apostle gives instructions about knowing what the Lord's Supper is about, what it means. And he wants it to be celebrated rightly and with self-examination beforehand. Judge yourselves, lest you be judged. He tells the Corinthians they can't go on celebrating the Lord's Supper in that way without bringing condemnation on themselves. But the point is, the Lord's Supper means communion also with each other in Christ. And if there isn't that agreement about Christ in the confession of Christ, then there can't be real communion with each other. And if there isn't the desire to live in love and communion with each other, there can't be the communion with Christ either. That needs to be resolved. And you see from all of this, brothers and sisters, that the essence of the Lord's Supper celebration is communion, communion, communion with Christ in the first place. He wants us to come to his table because he really wants to give himself and everything he did on the cross to us there in that symbol of bread and wine. But we have to see our need for him too then and desire his grace. And if we do that, we will be nourished with him and everything he has done and still does at his table. We'll be immensely encouraged in faith and hope in him through the Lord's Supper celebration. And then there's also the communion with each other. If we partake of the bread and wine, humbly confessing the immense love of Christ for us along with everyone else there, then it's possible to love each other too, isn't it? we'll be able to love our brothers and sisters more and more, even the ones who we find it hard to feel much for, even the ones we find so hard to forgive and accept. And we can love because we have tasted Christ's love for all of us at his table, also his love for ourselves, his love for us while we were still sinners. Amen. Let's sing in response to the proclamation, Psalm 22, stanzas 9.